How's it going today, guys? If you check the show notes, there's a link there to register for the free mini course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks. And there's a lot of different free resources there for you as well. So check that out. Today, I'm so excited to invite Dr. Kate Van Dam back to the podcast. We're doing a two-parter with her, inspired by our first conversation, because within that first conversation about painful sex postpartum and the pelvic floor, she shared that she struggled with an eating disorder for many, many years. And I was like, you know what? I think this is so relevant to our population. So many people, you know, suffer from this sometimes in silence. So I asked her to come on and it's such a vulnerable story and she's such a strong woman, um, but she tells her story and it's it's amazing that she's able to really share it now and be on the other side of it. And I hope you guys get a lot out of this conversation. Let's get started. Okay, so listeners, I asked... Dr. Kate to come on to do a two-parter because she mentioned when I first interviewed her that she experienced um, an eating disorder when she was younger. And I wanted to hear what that experience was like. And then her many years later, kind of what the fight is. So uh, Dr. Kate... Hey. Please, please start at the beginning. Sure. So for folks who are tuning in for just, just part two, um, I just want to clarify. So I am not an eating disorder specialist at all. I am just a person who had one. Um, I am a specialist in pelvic floor work. So if folks are interested in that, they can listen to part one. Um, I... So I first started experiencing uh, anorexia when I was about... 12. Um, I was kind of like a larger bodied kid and always felt really funky about that. Never just, I guess, never had the opportunity to feel good in my body. And so what happened was when I was about 12, I started hitting puberty and I, I went on this trip. I went on a vacation without my parents, with my aunt and uncle who were awesome. And I lost a lot of weight, like supernaturally. Um, it was just one of those like weird hormonal puberty things. And how long was this? It was like a week trip. It was crazy. It was like, it was one week. Yeah. Like, were you like in Yosemite hiking or something? No, like, the crazy thing was that like, I was like in a car, we were like on a road trip to Canada and I was eating ice cream and fish and chips every day. And I lost 10 pounds. It was wild. Okay. Yeah. Just like who knows what was going on in my bod. But I think the other thing was that I was probably only I was just like eating to hunger which is fine like that's really that's really what I've learned like you know 21 years later what I've learned is like eat when you're hungry stop when you're full like if only it could be that simple right so um so yeah. sorry were you do you feel like it's because you're on a different schedule you weren't at home so they just fed you when you were hungry I think that's right. And I think also like they, they don't have kids. And my mom is a very like old school 
Italian immigrant, like feed, feed, feed kind of a thing. Um, Okay. And it was just a different style of caretaking. They're just kind of like, oh yeah, like if you're hungry, you can eat. And if not, like, you know, if you're not asking, we're not going to like feed you on a schedule or whatever. Okay. So all to say, like after this trip, I felt like, a ch- like all of a sudden there was all of this attention around my body and I loved it. And I was like, Oh, how there's some seed of that, you know, that just helped me like fixate around that. Um, and that was kind of the start of like a pretty ugly, yucky period, um, where I got very uncomfortably, uh, thin and, you know, I mean, I can go into as much detail as you'd like, but the the short of the very long story is I had a pretty active eating disorder that took m- multiple forms until I was about 26. So I had anorexia and then I kind of swung from anorexia to binge overeating um, and compulsive exercising. Um and then when I was in my teens, like in my in my high school years, I was as overeating. And so then when I was in college, I had another like just traumatic trip experience, whatever. And um that really kicked off another like round of anorexia for me. Um and during that period, you know, I wasn't I wasn't menstruating for like almost three years at that point. Um so it was really like not a healthy state for my body. And then kind of swung again into, um, into compulsive overeating. Um, and around the same time developed a thyroid disorder that I didn't know was a thyroid disorder at that time. And it all really came to an end functionally, um, when I was about 26. Um, and, and to be clear, you know, I have been seeking support from the time I was 12, you know, it wasn't like I never saw a therapist. Um, that was a really, really important part of my journey. Um, but when I was 26, I saw a naturopath to start focusing on my thyroid dysfunction. And interestingly enough, um, she gave me a bunch of different supplements and that helped me feel like I could actually put all the work I had done in therapy, like actually into practice, like something about that. Um, changed my brain composition, my, my gut composition, like I don't really know what, you know, again, it's like not my area of expertise, but it was really, really helpful. Um, and you know, just started like the road, the road to recovery. And I think what's kind of interesting and what might be like most interesting to, um, to the listeners is it really has been an interesting road to like redefine my, uh, relationship with movement. Um, so for me, like I'm not an aerialist, I treat aerialists and I love aerialists, but I'm mostly a yoga person. Um, so that I've been doing yoga since I was 16 and I became a teacher when I was very young, when I was like 22. And so that's a really important part of my, my practice and my movement routine. And so it was a really interesting transition to move from, I'm doing this thing because I love it, but also because I'm concerned about my, you know, my body and my image and, you know, what it's going to look like to, um, I do this because I love it and it makes me feel good. And if it burns calories, like that's nice, but I'll eat more afterwards. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll just like 
get hungry afterwards and that's fine. It's really not, um, it's not for any intended outcome other than the love of what I'm doing. And that, and, you know, I say that like really just like, Oh, like kind of casually, that was like a very long (laughs) process for me to get to, um, and really like embody and feel and like show up to my movement practice, which now is expanded into, you know, different, different things that I really like, like Pilates, weightlifting and whatever. Um, and again, it's, I, so yeah, go ahead. Okay. Okay. I am going to stop you because I want to go way back and I want, (laughs) I want to hear, I want to hear the details. Sure. Okay. My first question is when you came back from that trip, who did you get, who did you get all this attention from? Was it kids in school? Was it your parents? Yeah. Um, it was more my parents. Um, oh, okay. And I don't really want to like, yeah. Um, it was, no, you know what? Listen, I, I'm Chinese American. Yep. I'm a first generation kid. My parents, it is very, and it's cultural. It's cultural. And I'm not saying you're Chinese and it's the same, Uh but you know, aunties, every single time I see an auntie, they hadn't seen me in a year. Either I was too fat or too skinny. It's just like the way culturally they said hello. Totally. Yeah. And that, that was really interesting. You know, my husband is Dominican and, um, I love my in-laws so, so much. They're fantastic. But I remember being pregnant and feeling really uncomfortable about commentary around my body when I was getting bigger. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, to answer your question, you know, like, yeah, it was it was my parents and it was a cultural thing. And I don't have, you know, I used to have a lot more charged feelings about that. And I've kind of let that go at this point. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, they, and, and I think also just like attention from other kids at school and just like society really cultures, like really is ingrained to have us think about like monitoring other people's bodies and we're not even aware of it, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, especially like middle school girls, but I think all of us really, if we're, if we're all being honest. Well, and the whole commentary you know, like strangers, like when I was pregnant, Mm -hmm. walking on the street, strangers, mostly men, Mm -hmm. feel complete license to make comments on my body. And I'm like, (laughs) what? Why would you do that? I would never walk down the same street, see the same person and be like, man, you need to stop eating those cheeseburgers. Like I would never. No, never. No. Yeah, I know. I, 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 completely I would have people I remember walking on like a rail trail like a walking path and I was maybe like four months pregnant and with twins and so I remember one man on his bicycle rode past me and my husband and he pointed at my belly and said six months and I was like what like what are you doing like no it's Terrible. Yeah, people are the worst. People are the worst. But yes, people do feel like they have a license to judge other people's bodies and make commentary on them. And um, and it's tricky when you get into like the movement world too, because you know, our bodies are our tools. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um and so okay, yeah. let me let me get no, I have like a million questions about when you're in middle school. So 
because I did not experience this. I, I was in dance class and I have a certain, I know I have a certain dysmorphia in my body, in my mind about what I look like versus what I actually look like, mm-hmm. but I never went into this space. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fast. I'm fascinated. Okay. <laughs> so you came home from that trip, yep. you got all this attention around it. And how did that transform into actual anorexia for you? And how extreme was it? And what was your daily, what was your daily habit? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, you know, to be, to be totally transparent, I don't, I don't really recall how exactly that attention translated into like, I think it's a great idea to stop eating other than I just really liked the attention. And I mean, I didn't know anyone with an eating disorder. I, you know, I didn't have a lot of exposure to it. Um, but I was just like, I think this is a way I can kind of assert control, um, and monopolize on that positive attention. Um, because, you know, again, like I was not, I mean, and it's, it's, it's sad and it's ironic because I look back at pictures of myself now and I was like, I was totally a cute kid and I was totally like, whatever. Um, but I did not consider myself like an attractive, like desirable little cute 12 year old. So, um, so I felt like this was like, this was my, my way in, right. This was my way into being like, you know, cute for, boys and whatever, like, and just like a worthy person. I don't know how else to say it. Um, in terms of like, you know, the daily routine, all I can remember is just trying to minimize the intake and, um, and even like the amount of, times I ate. So as much as I could avoid eating, I would. So I just like, you know, going to school, like I just wouldn't eat at school. And then I would eat like a really minimal amount in front of my parents, you know, cause it's still really young. Um, um, and, and at the time, you know, I have three much older siblings, so they were all out of the house at that point. So it was just me and my parents. Like there was a lot, they, they knew what was going on. Um, and then, you know, it slowly becomes uh, a pretty obsessive situation. You know, what I found out much later is that eating disorders are, you know, correlated to obsessive compulsive disorder. And while I wouldn't identify as having OCD, um, that makes a lot of sense to me around, you know, the, the obsessive thoughts, um, that kind of come with the terrain of, how many calories are in this? How many calories are in that? You know, if I eat a hard boiled egg at breakfast, that's 60 calories. Okay. What does that look like for the day? You know, like what, and it just kind of like does this gnarly spiral on itself. The other thing is that, you know, as anyone out there knows, when you skip a meal and you feel like crap, there becomes a point where if if you've ever done any fasting, there becomes a point where your brain just kind of like goes into a different mode and it almost feels good. Um, and I think I just really wanted to stay in that mode. Um, I always used to call it like my, I'm, I'm divorcing food. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I came up with that really young. Um, wow. 
But, but the other thing that I, I think is really interesting is that from a really young age, and I think this is, as I understand it, it's, it's pretty common. Um, there's a lot of hiding going on, right? So there's hiding, not eating. There's hiding that you're obsessing about the fact that you're not eating. Um, and, and then, you know, it's weird because you really want to show off your body, but then you actually, once, once I got to a space where I was, you know, really notably, um, unhealthily thin, um, do you remember how long that took? A few months. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It happened, I mean, relatively fast. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to show off my body, right? Because you kind of want to hide that you have some kind of dysfunction going on. Yeah. So interesting. And then at what point do bells start going off for the people around you? Um, I think trying to just put every, all the chronology in place. I think it was around the six month part, like Mark, where, um, my parents, God bless them. They, they actually, I don't know who they got this recommendation from, but, but they know, you know, they, they knew there was a problem and that it needed to be addressed. Um, and they sat me down and they told me they were taking me to therapy and they hit the 100% like lucky jackpot of just like the random recommendation that they got was actually like amazing. Like I, oh my gosh, like Syl Reynolds, thank you. You've, you've saved my life. She, um, I ended up seeing her on and off until I was pregnant until I was, so from the age of 12 to 31, very Wow, that's great. Um, and, you know, definitely more when I was 12. And then again, I saw her more intensively when I was in my 20s. Um, but yeah, just like whenever I felt like I needed to check in or I was really struggling, like I would always just touch base with her. Um, and she was just absolutely fantastic. Um, she really was so helpful for me to ground and create a plan and help really get around like the psychology of why, why this was happening and how I could start to make peace with my body. Um, you know, the average length of recovery for an eating disorder takes seven years. Um, mine took a lot longer. <laughs> um, but I think that's also really common for a lot of people. And, and, and I like to think about it more as like remission than anything else. Like I, I know that if something really stressful came around, um, I wouldn't be surprised if those feelings or habits came back, uh, again. So did Kate, did you, did you, get healthy before you went the other direction and mm -mm. not really no I mean okay I mean like healthy in the sense of like I was eating more and that was good because it was not a great situation you know I was really fortunate in the sense of I never had to be hospitalized you know I was taken to the I was taken to the doctor multiple times but it never got it to a point where, you know, my organs were in failure or anything like that, um, which, which can happen with anorexia. Um, and so throughout the therapy, at some point you started to say, okay, now I want to eat. Right. 
And then you swung the other direction. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what does what does that look like? Ooh. Like I, I hate to like put a hierarchy on anything, but um, even worse in my in my experience and opinion. Um, so. You know, I've never had a substance abuse order, but it feels like uh, it feels like what I imagine a substance abuse disorder would feel like. Um, it feels again like a lot of hiding, um, and so you know, compulsive overeating looks different for a lot of people. But how it looked for me was, I was getting home and just like eating as much food as I could possibly eat. And, and anything, or did you have like a, oh, I had things, um, nuts and like nut butters, which actually I found out is, is really common. Um, interesting. Yeah. I don't know why. Like I just, you know, the more I opened up to friends, people, you know, the internet about it. Um, I think it's like that combination of like salty, but kind of sweet, like nut butters are, they're not they're not sweet per se, but they're kind of like on that palette. Okay. Um, I don't really know, but I know a lot of people and myself included would, you know, I mean, I would eat like a pound of peanut butter every day. Like no lie. Um, just spoon. Yep. Spoons. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was nuts. It was not, it was not a fun time. And then you get so uncomfortably full that you just like can't, you know, like, like I almost, I called it like blackout full, like you can't function. Um, and was it coupled with, um, throwing up as well or no? Not for me. No. Okay. No, I, I honestly, um, so I've never been able to voluntarily make myself vomit, which is ironic because I had hyperemesis when I was pregnant. So couldn't stop vomiting then. Um, I'm really grateful that I w didn't have that physical ability because I definitely, was not for lack of trying. Let me put it that way. But, um, but no, I was never able to, um, to do that. And, and thank God. Okay. So you're binging and how, at least that first time, do you remember how long? The first stretch was mm, like, it was at its worst from like 16 to 20. Okay. Oh. So it's kind of long, kind of long time. Yeah. And then, um, and then I would say around like 20, 2021, again, like kind of the same thing happened. Like I started naturally losing weight. Um, maybe I got a little bit healthier, you know, just like some transitions with college stuff. Um, and pretty immediately like swung back into an, a full like anorexic. And then the same thing happened. Like anorexic for a few years, compulsive overeating for a few years until I was 26. So yeah, it was a long time. It was a long time to have my brain like hijacked by just thinking about food like 90% of the time. So two thoughts in my mind, mm -hmm. like your poor body, right? Just, just bouncing, going like, you know, that ball in that mm -hmm. video game. Yeah. And then my other thought is, I remember what I was like 16 to 30. Mm -hmm. I was, all of my energy and brain energy was on two things, probably bad relationships and, you know, building my career. Right. So I want to talk about both because obviously 
everything, you know, it's there's a there's a cost, there's a what is the word? It's it's a economic term. Opportunity cost. Yeah. There's an opportunity cost to doing anything and this is a very time consuming thing. So what was that cost when it comes to everything else in your life? And then I would also, when you were at the worst of your binge eating, Mm -hmm. like what was that range of weight from your binge eating to your anorexia at the, you know, like what was that big range? Um, Range of weight in my like adult years was 112 to 195. Wow, that's a yeah, that's a really big margin. It's like zero to size eighteen. Um, like that's been the range of sizes. And just and just for reference, like I've you know in my healthy kind of settled state, I live in a like six to eight world. Like I'm, I'm a, like I would say I'm a medium sized person. Um, and um, and that those lower weights do not look cute on me. Um, like they, and how tall are you? I'm five, seven. And I have kind of just, Oh, a bit of a bigger frame on a five, seven. So, um, I was really bony. Um, anything below 135 is like really not, not a good look. Wait, what's the lowest range you said? 112. Wow. Okay. 112 on a five, seven woman. Oh my God. It's not good. Um, yeah, and in terms of like the the opportunity cost, um so many things go on. You know, like I think that primarily it's the relationships and yeah, it's romantic relationships for sure, but like everyone's romantic relationships are a dumpster fire when they're 20. Um so, yeah, 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 like I won't even go into that cuz it's really not worth it going into, but what I think is notable is just um how much I feel like was lost in terms of like developing my friendships around that time. Um with like, you know, roommates and people that I'm still friends with now and you know, like I there's just so much that hinges around this internal experience of dysmorphia and obsession um, Mm. that is just such a downer, you know, like it's just lost. I've lost that time and and that's okay. But um, it certainly is, is notable. And then I think the other thing, you know, when I was, um, binge eating, there's a lot of deception that goes around. Like, I mean, I would steal my roommate's food like on a daily basis. Cause I just couldn't keep enough like peanut butter in the house type thing, you know, like, um, and this, this went on for years. And also like, I would, I was, um, very into making, like, if you've ever made like some delightful combination of like, you know, dates and nut butter, and you make those like little balls that are like delicious. There are so many variations of them. Um, I was really into doing that. So point of the story is I would make a mess all the time and then just like rush to clean it up. Um, because I was like eating everything. And I was just like, those kinds of things are the things that haunt me in terms of like, I was just like, not a good roommate friend, like 
I just wasn't able to be present for myself and therefore definitely wasn't able to be present for, for, you know, any other relationship, um, that was important to me. So, um, yeah, not awesome. <laughs> not, not, not recommended. It's, it's a really tough experience to go through. And I think even if you're seeking support, which I was, um, I was definitely open and, and seeking and getting support. Um, it can still be a really, really tough situation. There are a lot of things that go into it. Yeah, there's a lot. Like, I'm on the outside looking in. It just seems like so complicated. Yeah. Of a, of a, of an issue in your brain. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, the more that I, you know, get to that outside looking in space, you know, as the years go by, the more that I can appreciate, like, wow, there was, there were a lot of factors here. You know, like, obviously there's, you know, there's a lot of mental health going in there. There's the anxiety piece and there's the dysmorphia piece and there's the obsessive piece. And then there's also like, for me personally, again, there were physical things going on. So, um, when I started grad school, when I was 25, I gained 60 pounds within six months. Um, and I had been overeating at that point for years, but I was like a size four or something crazy. Um, and all of a sudden it just, it just came on and I found out, you know, it took me two years to figure it out, but I found out that I had a thyroid disorder. Um, and you know, I don't know how long that was brewing. Like, I don't know which what, was the thyroid disorder was making you not gain weight. Uh, it was, yeah. So, so I suspect that it was making me not gain weight for a long time. And then something switched in the other direction, which is common with, with thyroid disorders. Um, and just, I gained a ton of weight all at once. Um, and so, you know, I don't know how long that had kind of been in the works to also like be contributing towards my weight fluctuations and, you know, my mental health and and what was going on with that. Um, so it's different for everyone, but for me, you know, there were definitely like some physical things happening as well. So yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, it, it's, um, you know, for anyone out there who's experiencing it, like my heart goes out to you. And, and I guess I want to also say like, it's not your fault, right? <laughs> like, like, I think, I think I had a lot of guilt around it. Um, and, and it's just, it's, it's not on, it's not on me. It's not on anyone. Like it's, it's a thing that happens just like any other mental health disorder. Kate, you said that you went through a, I think around when you were in school, you went through a, a obsessive working out phase. Mm -hmm. What was that coupled with the overeating or the overeating. opposite? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what did that look like? That looked like, um, so that lasted for a few years. So it took a few different forms, but, um, I think it was more trendy then to do a lot of cardio. So I was doing a lot of cardio at the gym, um, for like at least an hour a day. Um, and then in addition, you know, I was a yoga girl. So I was doing an hour and a half practices every day on top of anything that I was teaching at the time. 
So a lot of movement, like all the time, which is, again, it's like movements, obviously move. I'm a mover. I love moving. I love being embodied. Um, there are obviously really positive things that come out of it. It was more like the headspace I was in around that, you know, because it felt very much like, you know, what it looked like in real time was I wake up, I binge, I go work out. Um, I come back maybe at like 3 PM, I binge and I work out or I do a yoga practice and then I go to sleep. You know, like it was, it was very, my life hinged on these habits um, and, and just like working out because I binged, working out because I binged, you know, like over and over and over. Um, it was, it was tough. Um, well, and the other thing that's going through my mind, you said college or grad school. What did you say? I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, that, oh gosh. That was probably like the period actually from the end of college through the start of grad school. So, which was about like a five-year period. So, ah, uh, yeah. okay. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, how did you get your work done? Ha, good question. Don't know. Always been very successful though. I think it's like, there's, um, there's again that like obsessive comp- like part of it where the only other thing I could focus on was my work. Um, so it's really like the relationships that suffered the most. And also like my relationship with my family was like in the gutter, um, for a really long time. Cause I think I just had a lot of like resentment and feelings of like blame around it. Um, but at a certain point you kind of got to own your own stuff. Um, so yeah. Um, and okay. So on the back end of this, mm -hmm. so your recovery remission mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. And how, especially for those people out there who are struggling with this now, yeah. like how did you do it? How long did it take? Mm-hmm. What did it take? Yeah. I think this is like, honestly, the most interesting part. So, um, so one, I, I think it's important to just make sure that nothing else is going on. So for me, what, what it took was that like super, rapid weight gain for me to be like, no, something's wrong. You know, and even then it took two years for a doctor to be like, oh, let's do these tests. Oh, you have an autoimmune disease. Um, and, and I started seeing what's called like a functional medicine physician and they did a bunch of micronutrient testing. So, you know, like everything from zinc to your B vitamins to vitamin D to like all of that stuff. Right. And of course I was deficient in like a thousand things because I had been just like really abusing my body for a long time. Um, And they helped me kind of get back on track with that. Um, And that was really helpful just from a physical perspective. And I I took medication for my thyroid. That was really helpful just to kind of get those base layers stabilized. And then you know, like I said, I had been in therapy for a really long time. So there were a lot of things that I felt um, like I just couldn't utilize. And again, this, this might not be true for everyone, but this is just, you know, this is just true to me. Um, I just felt like there were a lot of things that I couldn't utilize, like this whole really simple mantra of like, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Like, just starting to follow your own body's cues around like 
trusting yourself. Um, and that's real too, because, you know, a lot of people, myself included, I have a really altered perception of hunger that can sometimes happen um, for people who have eating disorders. And that took a long time to come back for me to be like, oh, I'm hungry right now. Like, I'm going to make a snack after I chat with you. Um, like, that can take a long time. So sometimes you have to think about other cues. So for me, like, when my blood sugar was getting low, I would start to feel a headache or I'd start to feel a little bit dizzy. And that was my cue to be like, oh, even though I don't physically feel hungry in my belly, um, my body needs food right now. And I want to like care and respond for that. Um, and, and then, you know, similarly, when I was full, um, just slowing down, I think one thing that was really a game changer for me, and this sounds like so silly, but I learned to chew my food for a longer period of time and slow down how fast I ate. Um, and that's really helpful because that helps those like satiation cues in your belly, like physically have the opportunity to work. Um, and so I was able to give myself more opportunities to say like, oh, I'm full. Like I can stop now. Um and then it doesn't seem it doesn't sound crazy to me because for a completely different reason mm -hmm. I've IBSD yeah <laughs> and uh, I taught myself at a very young age to slow down eating because my I would have like my colon would just go off totally yeah I totally skipped over the part where I developed like IBSM in my twenties but yeah I IBSM is when you have both mm -hmm. yeah so. I um, diarrhea and constipation. Yeah. So how it looked for me and like, remember I was eating like a pound of peanut butter every day. So like, of course my intestines were messed up. Um, but I wouldn't, uh, have a bowel movement for like two days. And then the third day I would just go all day. Um, and that was pretty much my norm for like, mm, I don't know, eight, 10 years, like not fun, but yeah, totally. Like I, I feel you. Um, it's not, Oh my God, fun. your poor gut. <laughs> Yeah. Your poor guy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's been through the war. So yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other thing in terms of like recovery and what worked for me was leaning more into like meditation, you know, like restorative movements. Um, and then, and then again, like what was really interesting was starting to return to more like performance-based movement or just like, you know, yoga is not a performance sport, hopefully. Um, but, you know, just doing, going after a practice and some poses that I really love, that I wanted to do that are fun and interesting and, you know, take certain technique, um, kind of slowly coming back to that. Um, and really just being like kind of ruthlessly honest with myself around like, Am I doing this for the love of what I'm doing? Or am I doing this because, um, because I want to look a certain way? Um, and, and listening to my body around its fatigue cues was a big thing. So I learned to think about that whole like hunger and satiation thing, but from a movement perspective. So like, you know, when you just like, I think all movers feel this way, you know, when you just like haven't, worked out or done your craft for like, you know, a few days or however long it is. Or sometimes when you're really in it, it's like on the daily where you're like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get on the silks or I gotta get on my mat or whatever. So to, to me, I think about that, like that's, that's hunger. So you should, you should satiate that hunger. You should go do it. 
Um, and then, you know, feeling of like fatigue and my body is done, like that's being full. Um, and so I started to think about my movement practice in those terms. And that's, that's really still how I play it. You know, like I try to work out on a daily basis. Um, but working on a daily basis for me can sometimes look like 20 minutes of band work or like really simple, like just gentle restorative yoga, or it can also look like going hard AF. Like I just try to like tune in a little bit more. You know, it, it, the, the way you explain this, it can, it sounds completely obvious that your body wouldn't understand anymore when it's hungry and when it's full, mm -hmm. but that is so confusing to me. Oh, like, yeah, it's so confusing to me how not, not intellectually when you, of course you've been like tricking your body for all these years to do opposite right. of what your natural natural flow should be and so now you don't really know you're you can't trust your body's cues basically yeah that's exactly right mm -hmm. and I think also um gosh I should have been more prepared around the research on this but my understanding is that um you know the way that our nerves actually end up working um because all of that is a physical process, right? Like we have nerves in our intestines and in our visceral organs, like in our stomach and, you know, your bowel, right? And an easy example that you might connect to is like when you have that sense of like bowel urgency, like we're, you know, just like la 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 going through your day. And then it's all of a sudden like, oh my God, I have to crap right now, right? Like that, um, that's a misfiring. That's a lot of things. It's really fast transit time, whatever. But one of the things that's going on is there's a misfiring of the nerves, right? So my understanding of that whole like hunger, satiation, cues getting messed up is like, it's actually like your nerves are misfiring. They just like are getting, they've been so overstimulated for so long that they're just like, you know what? If you don't need us, we're good. Like we're taking a break. Um, and so they then get like, they start under firing. They just don't really pick up the cues um, because, right, like I starved myself for years. So how would they know the difference? So the fight or flight with, well, because everything's fight or flight, right? Yeah. yeah. So I am, I am fascinated. So the fight or flight with your nerves, with your hunger and your satiation. Sorry, Bean, you can't listen to music right now because the microphone will pick it up. We're almost done. And then we're going to go to Dr. Cow because we have to go. To, we're going to be the pediatrician after this. Amazing. Say hi, Kate. Hi. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, my God, this is it, it's all I, I just had an aha moment, basically, because the same way. Oh, my God, you'd explain it so well. The same way that my gut. It's so it's not that uh, you cannot that trust cow. your body's. Healthy, da, 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 correct cues. Da, 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 your cues are off. Da, 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 exactly. So therefore, you can't trust them. Right. Like it's physically okay. just not working. Got it. Yeah. So you have to rely on other tools and tricks baby, to know when baby, you have to mama. nurse yourself. Baby exactly. Mama. Oh my God. 
Dr. Kate, I literally never put that together in my brain because I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this topic. Mm. And uh, and I know so many dancers, but I don't know a lot of dancers who have been very open about their struggle with this. And there's no way that out of all the dancers I know who've never talked about it, that they don't have it, that they, they didn't go through this. There's just no way. 100%. I think it's it's a lot more common than we'd all like it to be. Um, and yeah, and it, and it is tough to talk about, you know, like I'm very open about it on, on a personal basis. Like I'll, I'll like talk to whoever about it. Um, but it's been interesting, you know, even, even just chatting with you and knowing this will be shared, like it's, it is a vulnerable experience for, for a lot of people. But I think, um, something that, maybe we should just give a few minutes to is, um, my experience during pregnancy when I was recovered and knowing, so I got pregnant with twins and, you know, I think most people, I see this a lot cause I treat a lot of pregnant people, like people with eating disorders in the past tend to have a really tough time being pregnant and postpartum. And I, I had prepared for that and I came into pregnancy in a really healthy place, but then getting pregnant and unexpectedly, you know, finding out that we were having twins, um, that was a real like kick in the pants for me. Um, because, you know, you read some books and you realize that you're looking at like at least 50 to 60 pounds kind of minimum. And that's what I ended up gaining. I ended up gaining 60 pounds. Um, and I remember like finding out I was going to have twins and I was like, oh, I need to call my old therapist. Like, oh, we, we need some support because it's, con- you know, like, I think even if you're in a great space, pregnancy is one of those times where like people feel such a need to comment on your body. Um, and that really triggered a lot for me. And I needed a lot more support to be okay with the weight gain and actually know that like, this is supporting my baby's health. Um, and, and this is what I need to do. This is how I'm helping them. Um, and I, and multiples are a little bit different than singletons in terms of like, you know, the weight gain thing. But, um, I think for everyone, it can be a really, really tough experience. Even if you're just gaining like 20, 30 pounds with a single baby, uh, that can still be like really tough. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, go ahead. You, I'm thinking about the head mess that that is with one baby mm-hmm. and no history of eating disorder. Right. For me. Exactly. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Like when people said they're having twins, like before I had a kid, I never thought about it too hard. And then after I had my daughter and she didn't sleep for like, she's not, she didn't want to sleep. I was like, how, like, imagine the one child going to sleep and then the other child waking up. I would, I mean, I mean, I suffered from, from, um, anxiety, you know, Mm -hmm. postpartum anxiety and it would have, it would have exponentially made it worse. So I cannot imagine what that was for you personally. And even listening to this and having my million questions and basically asking you to drill down deeper into it, 
I can, I mean, obviously you're a brave woman and very strong now. And it, it's something that you, I can tell, you know, it's going to help other people out there who knows who, and who knows how many, but it is so brave and you have to be so exposed. And I'm just, I'm just floored Mm -hmm. about the story. There's so much about it that I didn't understand before. Um, You don't have to be, I mean, you know, of course I could, I have a lot of doctors that I call in and we talk about stuff, but you said you weren't a doctor and expert in this, but you are in, in your own experience. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I really feel like that is at times more, more important for people to hear if they're going through it themselves, because it is so personal and just hearing about it from a clinical viewpoint is not always helpful. So or not helpful in the same way. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the important thing for folks and like again, whoever needs to hear it, right, is that you're definitely not alone. Um, it's definitely not your fault, also. And getting better takes time, so just be gentle with yourself. You know, um, and it's and it's not linear. You know, often when I'm working with my patients and I like draw this uh, really funky graph that goes up and down, but eventually like keeps going up, you know, like in the positive direction. And I think about that for eating disorders, like on a massive scale. Um, it's just, you know, like it's a big one and it's hard and um, healing is not a linear process. So I think it's really important for folks to just like, just be kind to yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Dr. Kate, you are awesome. And thank you so much for sharing the story. It's, it's not an easy story to share and you're just, you're just uh Solid as a rock. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah. I hope it's helpful to folks out there. Yeah. So this is uh, part two with Dr. Kate. We went to a completely different subject because she mentioned it. I was like, that takes time to talk about. That's not not a 15-minute situation. (laughs) So, yes. All right. Dr. Kate. We are just in time for my bean to need a new diaper, and she's. We're going to go to the pediatrician. Good luck at the pediatrician. Have fun. Thanks so much to Dr. Kate for sharing and being with us today again. I will link her in the show notes so you guys can find her online. And if you would please honor me with a five-star rating and review anywhere you get your podcast, it really helps other people find this community. You can always find me on Instagram at CarrieWee1 and on Twitter at Carrie underscore we. I really appreciate you guys for listening. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast. Mm-hmm.